Every January brings with it that promise of a fresh start, a do-over. As the new year begins, we have the chance to make those New Year's resolutions, to leave our bad habits behind and turn to a clean page in that book that makes up the chapters of our lives. Christian baptism is also a chance for a do-over of a different sort, I would argue a much more important sort, as we die to sin and are reborn as members of Christ's family. For many of us, just hearing the term baptism conjures a mental image of a church service involving usually a baby or a young child, smiling family members, some water, audience participation, and generally good feelings all around. A baptism is a joyous and holy occasion. We get to welcome a new member into the Christian faith. Why shouldn't we be joyous? In other denominations, we might see different forms of baptism, perhaps only with adults, or perhaps the water is a tub or pool or even a river or lake instead of a font. But the event evokes, I would imagine, similar feelings of joy and celebration as members of any church welcome someone into their family. Jesus' baptism in our Gospel reading today bears a definite resemblance to our modern-day rite, although granted more to that adult full-immersion type than our just-enough-to-not-make-the-baby-cry method. The circumstances surrounding Jesus' baptism were somewhat different. John was baptizing Jews as a means of repentance, and we might rightfully ask the question, why should Jesus need to repent? And it's true, he had no need for repentance. Jesus' baptism was more of a transformative event, a turning towards God's call to him. This was an intentional decision on the part of Jesus. He went to be baptized. He told John that it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. In fulfilling all righteousness, Jesus is answering God's call. And in answering it, he is fulfilling the role of Isaiah's suffering servant that we heard about in our Old Testament passage today. That servant, chosen by God, with God's Spirit upon him, is going to bring justice to the nations, open the eyes of the blind, and bring the prisoner out of the dungeon. He is to be gentle, a bruised reed he will not break. Jesus is going to be that miraculous, gentle leader, just as God always intended. Another thing that our modern baptism and Jesus' baptism have in common is that we are witnesses to these events. Just as we witness the baptism of someone here at Trinity, we are witnesses to Jesus' baptism in our reading today. We witness his immersion and emergence as he is formed and prepared to set out in his ministry. We witness the Holy Spirit descending, and we hear God's voice saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Something happened at Jesus' baptism that might not happen in exactly the same way at baptisms we attend. Yes, God is present in our baptisms, but we don't always hear him speak out loud. Our response to God's presence, however, should be the same as if we had heard those words over a loudspeaker. We should respond as Jesus did, listening with our whole heart 
responding with our whole life. Renewing our baptismal vows helps to remind us of our duty as Christians. We renew our own baptismal covenant each time we witness a baptism, and with that renewal, we have the opportunity to look back at how we've been doing as Christians. How have we been doing as God's suffering servants? This time of year, after we're done thinking about healthy eating or heading back to the gym, is the perfect time to look at our lives and reflect on what we have done, what we have accomplished in our lives as followers of Christ. Where have we emulated him, and where have we fallen short? Since we're human, it's likely we have strayed, and unlike a New Year's resolution that we can abandon on January 3rd, it is incumbent upon us all to keep trying to live into God's will. Every time we renew our vows, we are promising to give it our best effort. And as we witness Jesus' baptism in Scripture, we too must respond to God's voice with awe and gratitude and strive to emulate Jesus' humility and faithful obedience to his Father. All of this may seem like a big task, especially because this call, our call, doesn't come with a list of instructions. What does God expect our role as a suffering servant to look like? Even Jesus didn't know exactly what God had planned for him. After his baptism, he went out into the desert to try and figure that out. How are we supposed to know how to become a light to the nations? How are we supposed to accomplish this? I have a few suggestions, and I'll get to those in just a minute. But the first thing to understand is that this is a long-term process, more of a marathon than a sprint. So it's important to figure out not only what you're going to do, but how you will sustain yourself along the way. What will give you energy for that journey? What will keep you on course? What will keep you from giving up and taking an easier route? You need a plan, a map. And what works for your neighbor or your husband or your best friend may not work for you. A few days ago, my son Adam left Naples on a 24-hour drive back to college. Both his father and I had very specific plans as to how he could tackle this long solo drive. It included leaving early in the morning with a large supply of apples and peanut butter pretzels, music playlists at the ready, with a scheduled overnight stay at his sister's in Washington, D.C. My son, independent, 22-year-old that he is, had his own plan. Knowing that he faces a cold, dark winter in Boston, he slept late, played a last set of tennis, had a little father-son brunch, and left around 1 p.m. Instead of music, he listened to podcast, podcasts. Instead of apples, he stocked up just after leaving Waldo, I think, on pub subs. He did get to his sister's apartment for exactly 15 minutes at 5 o'clock the following morning, and then headed out, finishing his trip and arriving in Boston exactly 25 hours later. When I chastised him for taking such a long trip without adequate rest, he answered that this was his journey, and that he has made these types of trips before and he has, and it works for him. And that is what we have to figure out. What works for us? What will keep us going and get us, get us to our destination? 
So much can happen to us over the course of just a few days or months or years. It's easy to lose sight of our carefully laid out itineraries. What worked for us in the past, driving for 24 hours straight, for example, might not work anymore. We can be bruised or broken by our families, by society, by the world. We can lose sight of our calling. We can stop hearing God's voice and start listening instead to other, louder voices that tempt us or bully us or somehow convince us that we and our calling are not as worthy or worthwhile as the pursuit of wealth or status or other temporal stuff that we spend so much time acquiring. But today, right here, right now, we have the opportunity to adjust our strategy, to start again, to listen to God's call to discipleship with fresh ears, to hear his proclamation that we are his forever. And once we hear that, as we are re-energized, we must also realize that we cannot complete this task alone. If we could, it would be just another New Year's resolution. What can keep us, sustain us, as we set out on this journey to do God's work? What travel plan will work for us? What will feed our soul? The answer is right here, the church. Here, in this building, in this community, we can literally find our people. Maybe it's a Bible study, a book group, a prayer group. Maybe it's volunteering, either here at church or out in our wider community. Maybe it's attending Sunday formation or weekday worship or forming a habit of daily prayer. And while we explore all these different avenues, it's important to remember that God, the same God who is making these demands on us, he is with us. We don't expect to be able to accomplish anything without his help. All of our seeking and serving, our striving and proclaiming, it all happens with God's help. We don't vow to do it alone, and no one asks us to. So now, if you could grab these wonderful books we have, turn in your prayer book to page 305, and there's a section of the baptismal rite. Just a small section that I'd like us to look at today. And at the top of the page, it says, Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? And you all say, Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? We are all God's children, with whom he is well pleased. And even if we don't hear God say it out loud at a baptism, we certainly can hear it in our hearts. And that is what we must remember as we move forward in this month, this year, and all the years ahead, as we resolve and strive to fill, fulfill our baptismal vows and help those around us to do the same. <laughs> 